You're listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, Max, director sportive from Movistar team, explain to a non-Italian what La Gazzetta used to mean in Italy. Well, for sure, you know, it's uh, the first impact, I'd say it's, it's pink, you know, so <laughs> here you roll in a bar and typical bar in Italy, loud, people sitting around and uh, you, you throw your eyes on this pink paper, you know, and it's like, mm, just kind of wait till your turn to, to, to go through it, you know, and uh, then you grab this, uh, this like a zeta dello sport and you just start going through it, and the cycling is towards the end usually. Giro d'Italia is at the beginning, you know, because they give a lot of emphasis. Used to be. Yeah, used to be. Yeah, used to be, used to be. So, you know, you get, you're sitting down, it's your turn, and then you kind of throw your eyes left and right, see if somebody's kind of already staring because he wants to have a look at it. And there you go, and then you go through the Gazzetta. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, especially in the Giro, you know, those, those details, uh, you know, about single riders and the last rider, Lanterna. Uh, Rosa, they used to call it the last ride of uh, the Giro. It's a lot of information here and there. And it's, you know, that's it, Gazzetta. And when you were a rider, Max, and when you used to come to the Giro, I guess it was a, it was a, something that was passed around in the team as well. It was something that you guys probably used to read. You didn't have buses back then, but tell me about that ritual. No, well, before, you know, uh, I think now it's just, you know, people just throw them, you know, after the race, you see the riders in the bus, after the shower, they, they're on the phone right away and they go through social media and they can see pictures of themselves before... You know, you're lucky if you if you had a if you had a picture in the Gazeta. It's like it was a very important thing. For sure, you make sure to conserve that Gazeta, <laughs> to bring it home, to show it to the family, and etc. etc. So it, it was a it was a lot. You know, I mean, you really you really held on to the Gazeta in the days. It's a national institution. And I think one of the things that I, I always think about with the Gazzetta is that when you go into a bar in Italy, there's always a, f- a free copy of the Gazzetta sitting on the side, which many people would have read. People say it's not the paper that sells the most in Italy, but it's the most read paper. And that feeds into the importance of sport, particularly cycling, but also football and other sports in understanding Italian identity and the divisions and unities that that brings. So the headlines after Italy won the World Cup, you know, become part of the national psyche uh, and, and the things that and are And everyone framed. still remembers them, don't they? I mean, I remember it was 2006, wasn't it? Tutto vero. Tutto vero, It's all yes. true. And in, in what they call in Italy, cubitali. So massive um, letters. <laughs> and, you know, everyone remembers that day, not just because they won the World 82, I'm thinking of, also 2006, much less with the 30s World Cups because we can come back to that. The cycling was still top dog if you like um very much you know even the day the day that they won the world cup in 34 it wasn't even on the front page of the gazetta because it was the giro was going on so the giro a normal tapper of the giro was more important than winning the world cup i mean of course that would be madness now but that's an interesting thing so i think it's a national institution it's a point of reference and it it's also um a kind of depository for all kinds of different writing and that particularly Italian thing of, of high-level and low-level culture meet, meeting. So, you know, you've got intellectuals, really people like Barrera, you know, intellectuals writing for 
high level literature for this paper but then you've got the nitty gritty of the stats and the you know the match report and the the the, the statistics on cycling and and so i love all, it that's very you i mean l'equipe you could say does the same thing and i think there is a lot of parallel with that um l'equipe and la gazette in fact la gazette to some extent based on l'equipe but there you know we don't have that in we've never had that in britain that culture within the newspapers of high level or until very recently high level and low level culture at the same time Well, Lionel, we heard there from John Foote, Lionel, author of many books about Italian history, culture, sports, cycling, and we heard from Max Chandri, also an aficionado, also uh, a cultural commentator in his own right, Movistar team director, former pro at Motorola, talking about La Gazzetta dello Sport, what it means to them, what images it conjures up. What does it mean to you? Well, it obviously means the pink paper, doesn't it? And the very distinctive title piece, La Gazzetta della Sport in uh, sort of hand-tooled font, which has graced Amalia Rosa for decades. Yes, Lionel, and well, La Gazzetta, it is an Italian institution founded in the late 19th century by Eliso Rivera and Eugenio Camilo Costamagna. Do you know why it's pink? And do you know whether it was always pink? Now you're, you're grimacing. I, I do know this. It was originally a different colour, and then they, at some point they ran out of that colour paper, and it had to go on pink paper. Is that right? Close, warm, Lionel. Just to go back to the history of La Gazette, the first issue. Well, it was it was launched to coincide with the first modern Olympic Games in 1896 in Athens, and it was resulted from the fusion of two existing publications, Ciclista and La Tripleta. And, well, it was initially, you're right, printed on green paper, very much like Le Vélo in France, which was uh, uh, an antecedent of L'Equipe. And it was quite common in those days for sporting publications to be printed on different colour paper. L'Auto in France was printed on yellow paper, which eventually gave rise to the yellow jersey. Green paper for a couple of years. Um, It was also printed on white paper for a while. But white paper was expensive because the paper had to be bleached. And eventually, so the story goes, although the details about this are quite woolly, um, quite vague, even on the part, even if you ask sort of historians about this and people at La Gazzetta, they're not quite sure, but they think there was a reader survey and they asked the readers what colour they thought they should go with. And they went for pink. And the first pink issue was published on the 2nd of January, 1899. Not long after that, a few years after that, the Tour de France was launched, 1903. La Gazzetta dipped its toe in the same water in 1905 when they launched the Tour of Lombardia, the Giro di Lombardia. 1906 was the first edition of Milan San Remo. And then in 1909, the Giro d'Italia was launched by La Gazzetta dello Sport. But of course, the pink jersey took a, a little bit longer to materialise, to arrive. That was in 1931. Can you remember when the Tour de France launched their yellow jersey? 1919, I think, wasn't it? Eugène Christophe, midway through a race as well. It wasn't an invention that they came up with at the start of a race, if memory serves. Um, but why did... I mean, it took quite a long time for the Giro to catch on to have a pink leader's jersey. It did, Lionel, and for, well, for such a, an iconic... what's well, become such an iconic garment. Lionel, did you know there have been a few occasions when La Gazette has defaulted 
on the, or it, is, it has deviated from this pink identity, um, some of them less glorious than others. For example, in uh, 2004, the colour was changed to green for one day. Why? To coincide with the release of the film Shrek 2. <laughs> Awful. Absolutely. I mean, awful. that is tomato ketchup on spaghetti, cappuccinos after 11 o'clock. Talking about desecrating a great Italian institution. Um, the colour was also. True. I have no memory of that at all. Yeah, well, this is it. This is true, uh, I'm sure. I, I there was, it out, I'm sure. The colour was also changed to blue in 2006 when Italy won the Football World Cup for one day. It was changed to yellow when Vincenzo Nibli won the Tour de France in 2014. And then green again in 2016 on April the 3rd to celebrate the 120th anniversary of La Gazzetta's launch. Uh, dear listeners, maybe it's, it was not necessary, but I'm always here. Ciro Scognamillo from La Gazzetta dello Sport for you. Now, Ciro, you dreamed from well, when you were very young of working for La Gazzetta. Tell me about this dream. Why did it come about? When did it come about? It was a little bit strange because I'm the first journalist in my family. But uh, since I was really a child, I certainly watched a lot of sport on TV. And at the middle of the 80s, uh, I watch Giro d'Italia uh, every month of May and uh, uh, Gazzetta dello Sport obviously was the newspaper uh, that uh, gave most pages to uh, Giro d'Italia and so for this reason I started to read Gazzetta around more or less I was uh, a tifoso, a supporter of uh, Roberto Vicentini and was more or less at that time that I started to read Gazzetta not, I know that it's not the same as Bradley Wiggins that uh, once told me that uh, um, he was reading Gazzetta in Hyde Park uh, looking for the results of Miguel in Turin, a little bit less cool, but it's like that, my story. Alessandro De Marchi, Israel Premier Tech. We didn't read it a lot at home, but when I became a cyclist, then read some of the great writers who had covered the Giro, like Dino Buzzati. Then also connecting the colour with the Giro, the Corsa Rosa as we call it, it suddenly stops being just another newspaper, a paper that talks about sport. It's something much more profound, something that you have to think of in terms of the history of our country. In the month of May, it also takes on its most important role, it takes Italians around their own country and almost becomes the mouthpiece of the nation. Well, Lionel, when did you first become aware of La Gazzetta when you were a youth living in not Watford um, in the 1980s? Well, as as you know, Daniel, I was a a newspaper fanatic as much as a sports fanatic. I collected newspapers when I was a teenager. Any important editions, when there was big news, I bought the tabloids, the broadsheets. I used to study the way they were put together. It was a, a real fascination of mine. And so when I got into cycling, I was lucky enough that my dad worked in London and he used to bring home copies of L'Equipe especially during the Tour de France, and I'd pour over the way they were put together and the style of the coverage. And then 
I guess when I was on holiday in Italy, I saw La Gazzetta dello Sport and I bought a copy and I couldn't understand what I was reading, but I was just fascinated by the way they presented cycling and football coverage. It was so much deeper than what we had at home. There were graphics, there were cartoons, they had in cycling the full list of the classification. Um, and it was just my eyes were on stalks just absorbing the way these newspapers were put together and I always wondered why the UK which is a, a fantastic sporting nation didn't have something similar well Lionel we are currently standing in a bar in Pescara a beautiful location on the Adriatic coast in Italy and we've got a copy of La Gazzetta in front of us we're having, a, we're having two coffees that aren't cappuccinos the, the stage has just started but for a lot of people growing up in the UK La Gazzetta was synonymous with this context courtesy of one television programme and one individual. I think you would probably agree that Football Italia, which was on Channel 4, and the presenter, James Richardson, played a big role in making people in the UK, sports fans, sports fanatics, aware not only of La Gazzetta, but also Italy. And the two things became synonymous, the beauty of Italy and La Gazzetta. Why was that connection made? Well, James Richardson presented the football magazine show on the Saturday morning before the live game on the Sunday afternoon when Channel 4 got the rights to the Italian football after Paul Gascoigne left Tottenham to join Lazio, one of the two big clubs in Rome. And this was around the time that the Premier League started in the UK and live English football was taken off free-to-air TV and was only available to subscribers to Sky. And so uh, the Italian football coverage filled a huge void Sunday afternoon I would sit down and watch the live game, Saturday morning I would watch the magazine show that James Richardson put together and without um, you know, going too deeply into this there are some parallels between our kind of the style of our Giro coverage which you uh, curate so expertly Daniel and the way James Richardson introduced the viewers to Italy. He'd sit outside a bar, he'd have Gazzetta dello Sport, he'd hold it up, he'd translate the headlines in quite an... In, uh, quite, uh, uh, entertaining very pithy wasn't it it was very pithy very charismatic funny light touch and it really felt like he was leading you by the hand into a world of football that was football but not football as we knew it because Italian football at that time was glamorous it was different it was the stadia looked like they'd landed from Mars everything about it was fantastic and uh, he opened the door to that world in exactly the same way that Channel 4's Tour de France coverage had done what um, six, seven, eight years earlier and it's a recurring story Lionel among people within our peer group our group of colleagues here at the Giro I was speaking to one this morning Barry Ryan from Cycling News this applies to Rob Hatch as well it applies to me this was our window onto the world of sports journalism and, and Italy well, which was very inspirational I told you yesterday that I used to watch Football Italia with my dad and he used to point at the screen and James Richardson and he said that'll be you one day you're going to do that job <laughs> Nearly, Daniel. I mean, nearly. That was the prime meaning to Gazzetta Football Italia. It was, we had Football Italia on the Sunday, which had a game. And then the magazine show was called Gazzetta because it was... And it was only four or five years in that I realized that there'd been a guy called Gazza involved at the start of the show, and that possibly there was a reference to that as well. It was layers within layers, I guess. But no, Gazetta, principally. Gazetta, Gazetta de los Sport. 
what, what, a, what a newspaper. So a soggy afternoon there then, but some crisp finishing nonetheless from Young Fiore, which does of course mean flower in Italian, a fact which uh, certainly didn't escape the Corriere della Sport. Parma, a flower amidst the mud, uh, their headline on Sunday morning. Gazzetta going for a fairly heroic Parma, the strength to keep on trying, and underneath they point out, while there's life, there's hope. Certainly a bit of flower power from their budding young stars. sees Parma continue to stalk the leaders, Juve, and the pressure certainly on the weedy Genoa then to try and stem the leaders' progress that same Saturday afternoon. Rosé to the occasion, well, here, naturally enough, is Gary Bloom. It was a strange kind of convergence of, of things. I think there was a, the fact that we just had that World Cup in Italy and that England had done well, so, and everyone, had, you know, just loved that World Cup, even though now we officially regard it as not a good World Cup. But at the time, it was, it was I don't know, it felt really, there was a real romance to it. And then you had Sky starting up, which took the football off the telly. And the only football on TV was Football Italia, which happened to be kind of like the best league in the world with Gazza and all that. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a very fortunate uh, bit of timing, I think. I was aware of it that Italy has a kind of fascino, like a, it's, it has a charm for the English and vice versa as well. But that uh, it was something that would very much help the program to be make it as scenic as possible. Uh, so that was definitely part of it. The actual setup of doing a news roundup sat in some glamorous square somewhere. I, I've always wondered whether it was actually born out of budget rather than anything else. A, because it meant that we didn't have to pay for a studio. Because that, that show, because that's a particularly in, in the first year or two, was done on a real shoestring, which is one of the reasons I got the job. I and mean, they just didn't have a budget. So um, there was that. They didn't want to, I mean, everything was filmed kind of out on the street in squares or just like, you know, by a by something scenic and equally uh, archive i don't think they really wanted to be getting involved in an archive as it turns out very wisely because archive with italian tv is a pretty uh, complicated business so instead it was just a bloke a cheap bloke sat in a public square with a pile of uh, you know reasonably priced newspapers and as it turns out that you're absolutely right I mean, the gazetta is quite an iconic part of italian culture you know the, the pink newspaper so that was another of the kind of strengths that, or the, another of the kind of, I think, another of the features that, that really helped our program. Right, well, as Barry Venison once said to his hairdresser, that's enough highlights for now. Time instead for us to concentrate on the week's news and the papers over the last seven days, dominated once again by all the various player transfer rumours. Uh, first up, a deal that's been in the air really since last November. Here it is in uh, Tuesday's Gazzetta della Sport, Milan, where he's finally signed. Yes, Milan for £5 million, buying Paris Saint-Germain's centre-forward, the Franco-Liberian George Weah, uh, top scorer in the Champions League this year with eight goals in just ten games, and of course, African Player of the Year, although he is a French citizen despite that, as Milan's lawyers are quick to point out. James, adding to the mystique was the fact that it was pre-internet, so Gazzetta Football Italia and the live broadcasts were really a window onto a world that people had no idea about. I think that was actually... Um had a huge advantage to me in that nobody knew any better. I mean, I could have come out with any old nonsense and no one would have known any better. And probably that's a large part of what happened. That you know, doing that now, you would do a roundup probably within five minutes. You'd get a series of messages underneath posts saying, where, you know, where you've gone wrong and how bad you've been. They were simpler times. And as you say, it was, it was, uh, it was all very innocent. I mean, it was, a, it was a discovery. I mean, as much for me as for the audience, I think uh, I, I moved out to Italy to do the show. I've been out quite a bit because I was I was kind of romantically engaged with a, a young young lady from Rome. But um, but yeah, no, definitely the uh, 
that all kind of, I think, went into the kind of heady cocktail. There was great football. There was beautiful squares, uh, fine-looking footballers, uh, a crazy paper that only talked about football for about 30 pages a day, and cycling at certain times of the year. And, uh, and yeah, and big ice creams. I mean, I know that that show, because as you say, there wasn't really anything like it. I mean, not just there wasn't internet in those days, but there wasn't wall-to-wall foreign TV. So for us to suddenly have this league featuring players who, yeah, we'd seen glimpses of at the World Cup, but now we had them kind of regularly appearing and, you know, hopefully being interviewed from time to time where appropriate on our show. That was really, really big. There was nothing else like it. And there wasn't even English football on TV. So to have this, I don't know, the World's Premier League is what we built it at one point. That was a, a huge thing. In terms of influencing people, um, I feel really kind of quite humble about it because it was a, it was the biggest open goal in broadcasting history in many ways. For all the reasons that I mentioned, it was a it was going to be a successful show with a particular you know a, a group of kind of especially young guys between about I don't know ten and thirty. Uh, it was it was always going to be a really popular show. It had every ingredient that you would want. So to to be able to kind of sit in front of that was a, was a real privilege. I mean, I think that my style, because of the fact that I wasn't a former pro or particularly expert in the subject matter, was necessarily quite a casual and jovial, light-hearted one. And uh, Steve Garrens was one of the producers, and they, we, BT did a documentary about this recently. And the, he says in there that it was a looking back, he finds it staggering that Channel Four effectively commissioned the show and then said, "Now get on with it." Uh, they, they didn't. There wasn't particularly any editorial editorial influence. And then I was out in Italy anyway. So I had even the I had really only the, the the barest of ideas of the fact that this was going out to an audience somewhere else. It was just kind of what I did. I would turn up, film some stuff, and send it back. And then sometimes there'd be a reaction from the people I'd sent it to. But I wasn't really across any kind of cultural impact in England. Every now and then I'd come back to to London, and then sometimes people would say stuff. And then, uh, but it wasn't part of my day to day life, so it all felt a little bit surreal. But I think that's why maybe the approach was even more kind of chaotic and, and, and informal than it, than it might otherwise have been if I'd been, you know, actually there kind of watching the show go out on TV. And I have to say that the footballers were unbelievable. I mean, like Lombardo doing the Lombarda and like uh, Gaza doing his head in a chocolate egg and whatever it was. Uh, even David Platt pretending to be Terminator. Gianluca Vialli in a comedy blonde wig. Yeah, simpler times, simpler times. But yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I do feel very honoured to have been part of it. I'm delighted if anybody else decided that that looked like a good, uh, good way to earn a living. It, it certainly was, and um, and yeah, uh, we, without being unduly humble, I would say if I can do it. I mean, presenting a TV show, if you're not bothered by being in front of the camera, is not the most difficult job in the world. Uh, hopefully, it didn't uh, didn't look too tough either while I was thinking. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Hey everyone, Sam here from the start in Athens, stage two. Um, you can hear the buzz around, maybe hear the commentator. Uh, just did an hour transfer from the hotel, so um, out now, getting the kit on, numbers up. Um, you know, just general prepared to race uh, two hours before the start, so you know general diabetes management comes into play. 
as always, but more so now, trying to focus on that management and being in zone to start the race. Um, it can be challenging, but you know, it's part of living with diabetes, but we're here on top of it and we're doing everything we can to show what's possible with diabetes. Um, the guys now sat around in the tent just uh, gathering our thoughts and, you know, just doing our own preparation before the race. So wish us luck and thank you for the support. Ciao. During university, I studied in Naples and uh, I was freelance, let's say, for some newspapers of my region, Campania. But uh, after university, I went to Milan, a kind of master, a post-degree uh, specialization of one year and a half in journalism. And this master gave me the possibility uh, to do two stages in Gazzetta, four months more or less, uh, around 2002, and uh, starting from uh, half of uh, 2003, started my full-time contract. In the first three months uh, I was in cycling. Uh, first stage was in 2002, and I remember well that was the summer of the world's football worlds, and so the football section was already full, and so for this reason... Uh, Gazzetta told me it's better than uh, we, we need uh, um, a guy for cycling in these three months and uh, well um, my chief I, I have um, I had a chief very very strong with the really great character and I remember that uh, you, um, at the middle of June more or less was the day of uh, you know around Europe every day uh, in the same day there were the national championships in France in Italy and my my task uh, was to put on Gazzetta of the day after all the results you mean in France uh, won Jalabert in Italy Bettini and in Germany and so on but I did a tremendous mistake uh, I forgot to write the national champ of France the day after a reader uh, um, gave uh, a phone to Gazzetta uh, why? Uh, I, I don't find I'm not able to find who have won the national championship of France how is it possible? and my chief and my chief was really really upset with me a terrible mistake So who was the boss? Um, his name is Claudio Bagni now he's retired uh, five months ago more or less but I, rem I, I will remember that day for all my life because it was really really you imagine my state of mind when I'm in mountains Claudio had the, the same state of mind against me for my mistake Chiro what have been the main changes in 20 years the whole media landscape has changed in 20 years the relationship with, of the Italians with La Gazzetta has changed the readership numbers have changed what are the main changes that you've seen? Well, uh, certainly um, the relationships has, um, I think, a little bit changed in terms that uh, less people, comparing with the, with, with the past, use the paper edition uh, to know news. 
now certainly it's easier it's faster to find news on the web and so in my opinion this is the main change certainly in these 20 years uh, Gazzetta has developed uh, also a really big website uh, but I think that the relationships with the Gazzetta uh, with the reader uh, with the readers it's really strong uh, during Covid uh, for example uh, Gazzetta had a problem because uh, bar bar in Italy uh, weren't allowed for sanit- uh, sanitary reasons to buy newspapers and so for example this period has been for Gazzetta really tough because uh, uh, there were less copies sold to the bars now fortunately this is increasing again but the main change in my opinion is that the web is really increasing and the paper edition uh, sales are a little bit less uh, are less than comparing with the past Tom what do I think about it yeah, I mean it's uh, is the sports newspaper of, uh, of Italy and uh, uh, pink as always <laughs> so yeah it's nice do you remember or do you have any copies of La Gazzetta for when you won the Giro and any headlines did anyone translate them for you yeah uh, the press officer at the time uh, he brought a few Gazzettas uh, after my win um, and yeah so I have them at home somewhere but uh, I don't know where anymore in most of the national press um, has traditionally been in Milan Uh, I mean, the great, the great newspapers, Corriere Sera, which is the kind of Times of Italy, and the Gazzetta, they were, and for a long time, they were in a very similar area of Milan. They've now decentralized into some anonymous housing, terrible tower blocks, but it, they used to be in, right in the center, you know, kind of Fleet Street. And, and, you know, that, so Milan is the financial center. It's also the, the kind of center of publishing, and it's the center of news. But it's not the center of politics. So you've got a strange division between the politics center is Rome. So you've got a number of newspapers that also are based in Rome and they kind of deal in the political world much more than the, the, the Milanese press and publishing industry. So there's that division. And then Turin is the industrial as well as Milan is, is Fiat. And there you have La Stampa, which is a great daily, which is linked to Fiat, but nothing that not too much else in Turin. Same with the sports press. You know, you've got um, the, three, the three sports dailies, Corriere dello Sport, um, Gazzetta dello Sport, and um, Tutto Sport, which is kind of Turin, Juve, Corriere dello Sport, which is the kind of Roman-based, and then Gazzetta, which is the Milan-based. So they cover all the bases. And that, it's interesting how that, that decentralization. And then you've got tons of papers in Italy, dailies, but also because you have public financing of, or you had for a long time public financing of newspapers. So that... That division is very interesting. It's not all centralized um, in, in a London or a Paris uh, as it is in some of the other co- European countries. The South has always been a, neglected, both in terms of cyclists and in terms of racing. But I think um, the rest of Italy, it's in there. Mm. Um, the Gazetta is a Milanese institution, but it understands with the Giro that it has to be a national, mm. it has to be a national mm. event. And it's always understood that. And it's had a very pedagogic you know, top-down hierarchical idea that we're, we're telling stuff to the Italians, you know, we're, we're educating Italians, that, 
the whole idea of having the guidebook called a Garibaldi. Mm. You know, um, it's a, it's still that pedagogic project. I think much less than it used to be, but it, it was a it was a, it's a project. It's not just a, it's not just a sporting event, and um, and therefore it has to be national. It has to go up to the mountains, and it has to even go to Sardinia every so often. Mm. You know, on that, that sort of vocation or that kind of mission um, to explain Italy to the Italians. I mean, we we get maybe to nationalism and. I'm interested to hear what you would say um, about well, fascism and the Nazis. They kind of harnessed sport in various different ways, also because it, it really fed into their idea of the chosen kind of race. And that was also the case in Italy. And then if you go back, um, I mean, I haven't studied it in, in any great detail, but if you go back to sort of the 30s, you get, you can quite clearly see La Gazzetta and certain um, writers in particular in La Gazzetta really being a, a kind of mouthpiece for this idea of, well, sport being an expression of some kind of inherent superiority. And that continued really throughout the, the period of fascism in, in Italy. Were they, I mean, how much of that do you think was active on the part of La Gazzetta and, and it came, it was born out of real conviction on the part of, of that organ, people at La Gazzetta, or was that just symptomatic of the fact that a lot of people, a lot of things, a lot of organisations, institutions kind of got wrapped up in in what Mussolini was preaching in spite of themselves. Italian fascism came to power in 22. By the 30s, all the entire press was controlled rigidly, every single line. And in fact, a lot of stuff was simply commissioned. And, you know, you have to write this. You know, basically, it gave them notes. So you have to write this story tomorrow. So there was very little room for manoeuvre within journalism, including the Gazzetta, because Italian fascism very much understood the power of sport, in particular football, but not just football, also boxing um, and cycling. Um, and, they, and they manipulated cycling. That's a kind of well-known story with, for example, Bartoli um, being forced to not write, not, not allowed to ride the tour. And, you know, the, the way they manipulate, he, did, he didn't go along with it entirely, but he was used and, and manipulated in the 30s. Um, but then... You, alongside that you do get some over enthusiastic i think journalists who really go over the top and clearly are have bought into the propaganda much more than they're not they're not reluctant okay and i think one of the interesting things is someone like bruno rogi he's he's like bombastic terrible writer in my opinion the worst kind of over the top you know flowery nationalist rhetoric he goes straight into the post war italy and continues writing exactly the same mm. articles. Um, and you, sport is a weird world. I mean, it's actually true. There's a lot of continuity between fascism and post-fascism. But in, in the sporting world, all of the directors of, of the Italian sporting organisations just continue seamlessly into post-war Italy. None of them are purged. None of them resign, even though they've spent their time, 20 years kind of lauding Mussolini, for example. And that's true of journalists. You know, very few journalists leave the profession. So Gazzetta, you know... It has all these different parts to it. Um, it doesn't suffer under fascism and it doesn't suffer because of its connections to fascism. Mm. That, that's just made me think a little bit about, I mean, this is a, a question that can be extended to any country in any period, really. But the fine line between kind of a patriotism and a nationalism in this it, in what the Giro has, has done over the last few years, and we've talked about this before, how it's tried to kind of reinvent itself and become more international. And to a, to a large extent, it's succeeded. But then we get things this year, like there's a, 
um, a made in Italy jersey and we, you know this denomination this made in Italy brand that various whether it's institutions or sectors in Italy have I don't know whether they sheepishly have tried to embrace this but it obviously you run the risk of of venturing into territory that sort of Salvini would approve of um, I, I just wonder how you think about that um, you know that very fine line that tightrope walk that the Giro even has to do now between espousing a kind of nationalistic um, Italy but also being proud of itself because you know that's something we've also spoken about before you know Italy is a country that's proud of itself in some respects but in other respects it displays deep insecurities yeah i think that 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 though that you've brought out the tensions really well um there was a lega when the lega was regionalist it had its own little giro weird little yeah. giro which was meant to be giro Padania, Padania, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah which was that was salvini before he reinvented himself as a nationalist but he wasn't an anti-nationalist. Mm. In fact, you know, we can find records of him supporting the other team against Italy in, in World Cups and things oh, like really? that. But then mm. he reinvented himself as a radical nationalist because he saw a lot of political capital there. Right. And he didn't mm. think that, you know, there was a dead end in the regionalism. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Giro brings out a lot of that jingoism. But it also, I think it's also such an open race historically to foreigners and it creates these foreign heroes um Cogley and people who become household names and actually a lot of Italians start supporting them and loving them and 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 Charlie Gaul and people like that so I think it's it, it's it's such a contradictory event it's this pedagogical we're explaining Italy to you here are the mountains you know Italy's made up of all these different bits here's the south here's the north here's the capital here's your history that you don't know, but we're going to tell you about. But it's and then it's also very, very open right, to Mercs and to, mm. to all these stars, and 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 very international and global. It always has been. It was the biggest thing you could have, you know. I mean, uh, Gazeta, have a page in the Gazeta was uh, was a massive thing. Even the other day, there's a, before the Giro, there's a big page. I still have the picture of uh, Valverde. There's a whole page of Valverde on uh, Gazzetta dello Sport and I did a screenshot and sent it to him, you know. So, for sure, it's the biggest thing you could have. Now it's like, you you know, now you're on social media, but before it was like, it was a big thing to have that page or half a page, you know. I mean, a whole full page was like, whoa, that's a big thing. You could probably find a contract the year after <laughs> with one page, <laughs> one full page on the Gazzetta. So is it a little bit sad to see that La Gazzetta doesn't have the same status as it used to and it also doesn't you know there used to be maybe 10 pages about the Giro now sometimes there are three or four only Chiro is here for La Gazzetta yeah. this year it's uh, I don't know why I don't know why because I mean cycling is just it's just boosting you know if it's not going here it's going somewhere else and and it's, it's, it's around the world and you know the gravel's on now as, as a new kind of event you got these guys what can do cyclocross track and everything else so I mean, it should be just growing, actually, instead of kind of taking a page off, you know, in, in terms of quantity of pages. So, strange. Very last thing, Max. Do the riders these days, the other thing that you used to do with La Gazzetta, stick it up their jumper, stick it up the shirt um, on the descents. Is, is that something you ever see in the team now? You kind of see the odd tifoso on the side of the road what can have a, what have a paper. But I'm probably probably pretty sure like Jai Inley or any other guy was like this guy wants me to read the paper <laughs> I didn't even know if they'll know what to do with it you know 
<laughs> it's like, uh, but uh, yeah, you still have the odd guy with a paper on the side of the road. If people have never tried that, it actually works, doesn't it? It works perfectly on it. It's fantastic. Well, Lionel, our great friend Ciro Scognamiglio cuts quite a lonely figure on this Giro d'Italia. We're used to, or certainly I'm used to, covering the Giro d'Italia, and La Gazzetta really rules the routes in the press room. They have their own area, or they did, used to have their own area, their own room, indeed, in the press room. And there would be a, a crap team of six or seven reporters here, and they would produce 10, 12 pages in the paper every day. Ciro's here on his own this year. And this reflects what a lot of people would see as the demise of La Gazzetta newspapers in general. Just to give you a few figures, in 1982, La Gazzetta became the most read Italian paper with 2.8 million readers a day. That was also when the most copies were printed, 1.46 million copies were printed a day. And this reflects the fact that in Italy, as we've heard already, it's an established tradition to go to a bar and read La Gazzetta. So every copy of La Gazzetta has traditionally been read by three, four or more people. Um, so they, they, were the, they were the glory days, really, of La Gazzetta. That, that was the high point. Fast forward to 2021, and La Gazzetta was selling just over 100,000 copies a day. Extraordinary. And they were printing just over 150,000 copies. Yeah, I mean, this is a story the world over, really, isn't it? Newspapers are diminished products, unfortunately, for those of us who love them. I mean, Gazetta is a fraction of the size it used to be. It used to be a huge, elegant, imposing broadsheet. It's now a tabloid. And perhaps some of the, um, some of the coverage reflects the, the change of format as well. I mean, the headline on the front today is Juve Boom. Just some transfer speculation about Juventus there doing our James Richardson bit because I've always wanted to do this uh, Uno Rosa e Cinque Candidati Re which I think I'm going to translate correctly as you've revived Lionel Learns Italian I have one pink jersey and five candidates for the crown and Daniele Bonatti um, the Italian rider and I think there's the Italian um, national team coach now is running the rule over the candidates to win this Giro Chiro has also done something there on uh, Matthew van der Poel. There's something on Sherry Pridham, the sports director at Lotto Sudal. There is the whole classification there in a very small print. And then that's it. Four pages on the Giro. I mean, it's tucked away in the second half of the paper as well. And I think that's a slightly sorry reflection of um, perhaps the Giro standing in Italian sporting culture, maybe. I think La Gazzetta, unfortunately, Lionel, is a, a dwindling institution, but it is not dead yet. Well, certainly our friend Chiros Cognomilio, to whom we will leave the last word in this episode, does not think it's dead yet. Well, my last word is to say that the Giro's entire identity owes itself to La Gazzetta dello Sport, doesn't it? The whole thing is pink. Um, the newspaper founded the race. They are... They are interlinked, and uh, it would be a shame if that chain were to be broken in any way and La Gazzetta were to disappear. Will there be a paper edition in 20 years, do you think? 20 years. Difficult question. I hope so, because uh, I still like much more reading a paper 
edition than on the web but I mean maybe I'm becoming uh, I'm becoming as maybe Freddie Mercury old-fashioned love boy I mean it's a queen song <laughs> but um, I can't answer but I'm really not also interested uh, to this answer because I hope that in 20 years uh, normally in my plans I should be any longer a worker for Gazette I hope so The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney.